What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the 10 After 7 podcast with your host, Michael Cody Stevenson. Episode 15, we're coming off a fantastic Memorial Day weekend. I felt like a little bit of normalcy was back for all of us, barbecuing, honoring those who have served, who continue to serve, lay it on the line day in and day out. God bless them. I had one too many beers, I'll admit. I'm still recovering. Today, Tuesday, May 26th, I got up, said, you know what? Let's get back on the running grind. Ran two miles, huffing and puffing. It's going to be a trek to get back to where I was, which wasn't that impressive, but I'll get there. I promise you. But I'm ready for this podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the newest 30 for 30, the Lance Armstrong documentary part documentary. Part one was released on Sunday. I got a lot of thoughts and opinions on that. We're going to talk about the match, the golf matchup between Tiger Woods, Peyton Manning taking on Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson. I actually enjoyed it. It was fun. Can you believe it? Did I make all 18 holes? Not a chance. Front nine though, I think that's all I needed to see. I saw some good shots. I saw some horrible shots. I actually felt good seeing Tom Brady the worst out of the four. How many times has Tom Brady been the worst in any foursome he's ever been in? Let's not think too much about that. But first, we have some news, encouraging news. For the last three months, we've been wondering which of these commissioners is going to step up and get sports back on television. Will it be Adam Silver? That's been my guy all along. I'm following him. I'm not going to say or take anything that Rob Manfred says seriously, the commissioner of baseball. Roger Goodell, he's got time to digest, see what's going on with other sports. Dana White, full steam ahead. Another UFC fight's coming up this weekend. They took a weekend off. Was kind of disappointed there. Would have loved to see some fights. But you know what? Who knew? Commissioner of the NHL, Gary Bettman. You probably heard of him. You definitely heard the booze that he gets every single year at the end of the season when he steps on the ice to present the Stanley Cup. The booze are loud. No one likes him. But today, Gary stepped to the plate. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. He laid out a plan. He said, scrap the regular season. We're going straight into the Stanley Cup playoffs with 24 teams. And here's the deal. They're thinking about hosting with two hub cities. Could be Los Angeles, could be Chicago, Edmonton. There'll be two hub cities. 24 teams, top four teams, top four seeds in each conference. They get a bye. First round with the other teams, five-game series. Then we get their 16 regular format, seven-game series going forward. Great, great news. There's still some loopholes to get over. NHLPA has to agree to it, but it all seems good. Then you have baseball. They presented another deal with the Players Association. The highest-paid dudes, the richest dudes in the sport, they're going to be the ones taking the pay cut. The guys on the lower end of that spectrum, they're going to get their prorated salaries. But the big dogs, they got to take a pay cut. That pay cut is probably going to be less than 40%. We'll see how that goes. Still a lot to work out there. But NHL, props to you. Because the NBA has been pondering this for a couple of weeks now. Do they bring back all 30 of their teams when not everyone has an incentive to win? Their playoff hopes are crushed. And the NHL said, hey, Adam Silver, NBA, follow our lead. Take 24 teams, five-game series first round, seven games going forward. There you go. There you have it. 
You don't got to bring back everyone. So all is right. Positive news keeps trickling out daily in sports. And I never knew. I think we're on episode 15. We've mentioned NHL zero times. Zero times. They kind of stayed quiet. But today, that breaking news, extremely encouraging for a sports fan. And there's not much else that competes with the Stanley Cup playoffs. I mean, it is electric. Doesn't even matter if you have a dog in the fight. And that's in L.A.? It seems like years ago when the Kings were in in things and 24 teams going forward, they're not one of them. I didn't watch too many games this year, but it appears they're still not looking good. So they will not be one of the teams. But hey, things are looking up. And I'm shocked that Gary, tip of the cap to you, you stepped up and laid out a plan that the NBA could possibly look at and say, yep, we're going to do that. So now, I'd like to talk about that golf match. The one that had 5.8 million viewers on Sunday. That's a record. The most watched golf event in cable television history. And I was not one of those people that watched on Sunday. Nope. That was a day when I had one too many beers. And it was on the TV. But I couldn't have been less interested. But I taped it. My recovery day on Monday. Threw it on. And I actually enjoyed it. It really was refreshing to see a guy like Tom Brady, who's a world-class athlete, absolutely suck at golf. The first seven holes hits it into the woods. But in Tom Brady fashion, he still stole the day. That son of a bitch still came out on top. On hole eight, he hits a 150-footer. Sinks it right after Charles Barkley's giving him some slack. And Tom Brady just says, you know what? And that was the most wild thing about it. Tom Brady wasn't talking too much. He was probably frustrated. Peyton Manning, his arch rival for years, was kind of showing him up. He had a couple of bad shots, but he was sinking putts. And Tom Brady, 150 feet out. Bam. And his reaction was nonchalant. Like, yeah, I've done this millions of times before, which I'm not sure. But if anyone makes that, I feel like even professional golfers go crazy. And he didn't really have a reaction. He kind of opened up a bit, started to talk, felt comfortable with himself. And after that, I said, all right, I feel like I got what I needed. I've watched what everyone's been talking about on Twitter, all the social media platforms for the last couple of days. He ripped his pants on the hole, hit that one in. The rest is history. The only thing I wish, I want a little less of Phil Mickelson. It was kind of cool. Golf slang and lingo go straight over my head. Phil Mickelson was trying to explain to Tom Brady. Basically, Tiger Woods and Phil Mickelson were playing caddy with their partners. And Phil Mickelson just wanted to shut up. He was telling Brady how to hit this ball, where it was going to land, which I thought was interesting. But at some point, I was like, Phil, come on, man. And Phil is the old dude that forever, even 20 years from now, when he's an old man, maybe walking with a cane, he's still going to think he's the coolest guy. He really believed, I think, he was the coolest dude on that golf course that day. And he was probably the least cool dude. I wish Tiger talked more. The personalities there, 
I just I didn't think they linked up. Peyton Manning's a good trash talker. He had some banter there. I thought the coolest thing was the golf cart cams. They each had their own individual golf carts. and But the announcers kind of talked over every time Peyton started to start talking in his golf cart. Tom Brady started talking. Justin Thomas was a part of the broadcast. Didn't know much about him. He was pretty awesome. And Charles Barkley, put him on every set. Any sport, any day, Charles Barkley belongs. But I thought it was cool how they did it. The longest drive they did on one of the holes and Tiger Woods, my God. Seeing that dude full blast hit a hit a golf ball is mesmerizing. And he blew Phil out of the water there. And then they had another hole where it was one club that they had to use the entire time. And even then, when they're talking about clubs, oh, I'm using a six, I'm using a four, I'm using a seven. I was like, can you guys, is there a golf for dummies? Can you put golf for dummies on another channel? It went over my head. But I'm I great review so far by all accounts. And I did like it. I stuck around for all seven holes, even though I taped it. And when you're taping golf, golf's one of the most brutal sports to tape and go back to watch. Because there's just a lot of dead time. You don't know when to fast forward, when not to pause it, when to walk away. It's just tough. And I'm a DVR king. Golf's just not something I usually DVR. So it was a new experience for me. But I just wish more, I wish Tiger opened up a little bit more. He didn't talk at all. And he was dead serious, and he kind of owned the day. Him and Peyton came out with the win. Brady, Phil, uh, I just I came in not rooting for Brady. And, geez, he does look fit. I was scouting how he looked. I don't know why. But when I'm 42 years old, if I could look like that, I think there's something to this TB12 thing. The TB12 diet, it's very strict. I follow him on Instagram. He posts about it every damn day. He was even shitting on strawberries the other day because some news came out about him. Relax, Tom. All right? Relax. But it was refreshing to see two guys at the top of their sports come into another completely different sport. The retirement sport, really. And to see Brady just kind of plummet. World-class athlete, and that just tells you how hard golf is. I don't need to tell you that. I think everyone knows. But it was fun. I stuck around all nine holes. I don't know what I missed on the back nine, but I got what I needed during the front nine. I mean, it was five hours long. And golf, here's the thing about it. I watch golf because it takes you to that course. Usually beautiful courses, sunny out, the ocean's there. It's a great setting. Not this one. It was pouring rain. They had to delay the start 45 minutes. And it rained throughout the entire day. That was the only downfall of it all. I just wish it was sunny, tank top weather. Clearly, it was out here in California. I'm still in my tank top. I'll probably be wearing one for the next 12 podcasts. This is the only one I got. So if I overuse it, let me know. But if it's the most watched golf event in television history, that means not a lot of shit's going on. And that's the truth. There's been a lot of talk about possibly doing this going forward teaming up other quarterbacks with other professional golfers. I just don't know how many people are going to watch it when we have all our sports back. It's going to be tough to get a rating like that again. But they owned it. They owned the day Sunday. UFC took the day off. A lot of money was raised for a good cause. I think over $20 million for COVID relief. 
Props to those dudes. So now we get into the Lance Armstrong documentary. So leading up to this new 30 for 30, I love how ESPN is putting out a new one every Sunday through the middle of June. And this one going in, this is all I know about Lance Armstrong. I knew he had cancer. I knew he was a world-class athlete in the dirtiest sport ever. Seriously, ever. I knew he had the Livestrong Foundation. I don't know one person who didn't have a Livestrong bracelet. I definitely did. So I wasn't, I was like, I don't really, he's been on long form podcasts before. He's been on Joe Rogan. He's been on Dan Patrick, who's the best interviewer in my opinion. And I've listened to those. I mean, he sat down with Rogan for two hours and I didn't come out of it liking him. He was arrogant, kind of isn't feeling any remorse for bringing down the people that he did. That's the thing about him. He could have, he could have been the greatest at the dirtiest sport but he just bashed and took down every single person with him with no remorse. Zero. So leading up to it, I was like, do I really want to watch this two-part documentary on Lance Armstrong? But I came to the conclusion. I said, I pointed out all those things I know. It's not a lot. Every average sports fan knows that. But everyone who knows me knows I love to come up. So I said, let me give it a shot. I don't know where this guy came from. I don't know anything about his parents. I don't know if he started in cycling, when he started in cycling. I know he had cancer. I didn't know the severity of it. So I said, I'm going to watch it. As we got closer to it, I said, I'm interested. So what I took from it, first of all, his battle with cancer was lethal. I mean, brutal. Brain surgery, testicular cancer. I mean, there was a chance he was not going to live, laying on his deathbed. That's the case for most people that go through it. He went through it in front of the entire world, and I did not know how severe that was at all. I didn't know about the brain surgery, none of that. So he's definitely a fighter. Can never take that away from him, ever. And then his upbringing. He was a triathlon athlete. I had no clue. That that's where he started. Started doing triathlons, and then when he was 17, I think he joined the U.S. cycling team. And his parents, his mom had him when she was 17, I believe. He had a stepdad that was involved early on, took his last name. And the stepdad tries to kind of take credit, saying, eh, you know, I don't know if he would have got to where he is if I didn't push him. Lance didn't really touch on that at all. The stepdad just kind of had that comment. So he did have a rough upbringing. And I thought one of the most telling parts is when they're talking about the sport of cycling and all these different countries that are involved and where the U.S. kind of sits in the middle of this pack. They talk about the Spain team kind of reserved. They talk about the Italians, kind of the showmen of the sport, the Germans, very calculated, the French, kind of entitled. They have the Tour de France. They're up here while everyone else is below them. That's just how they look at things. And then one of the guys on it, I forget his name, says, and then you have the U.S. team. And the people that are on the U.S. team, I've come across the most weirdos I've ever come across. Because cycling's not the first sport you're going to do when you live in the States. No. You're kind of an outcast. Which, 
is totally true. And triathlons, think about it. You're, you're definitely wired differently because you're by yourself at all times. All up here. Mental toughness. And then they talk about the Tour de France. I knew it was insane. I think over 2,500 miles, 21 days, three weeks. Your body's just not meant to do that. That's why so many drugs and how dirty the sport got. Because you have to be on some shit to go through three weeks of that. Hold on. You guys got to hold on one second. My dog needs out to go to the bathroom. Don't you hate when that happens? It's all right. He's the man of the house. Oliver John Stevenson. So yeah, they talk about the Tour de France. And then another telling part I took is when they kind of laid it down. They kind of just busted that sport, said, hey, the drug's got to get out. Except EPO, not detectable. Nope, can't find any trace of that. And they explain it. They say from the first writer to the very last, there's a two-hour difference, 2%. When you're on EPO, that difference goes 10%. That's how much that stuff does for you. They talk about the red blood cells. Science got involved. I was like, whoa, this is really getting down to the nitty gritty of this thing. So Lance is in this from the very beginning. He's at the top when he's 20-something years old, living overseas, spending his time in Austin, Texas. He grew up in Plano, West Texas area, where football's king. And this guy's doing cycling. Definitely an outcast. And he's kind of an asshole from the beginning. But his upbringing probably had a lot to do with that. Kind of on his own. Trying to be the guy at this sport. So, EPO, they're going to get into it. But what I'm really looking forward to on this doc is this second part. I want to see how far he went to bring all these other people down. Because that's why we don't like him to this day. And he's pretty arrogant in his interviews on the freaking documentary. I don't know how many F-bombs he's got to drop. The documentary starts with that story of his, how he always expected people after his downfall to just come up to him and say, F you, flip him off, F you. And he said he actually happened one day. He was getting into an Uber outside his house. There's a bar across the street. And a couple of guys just said, F you, F you, Lance. And I don't know how true this story is. I don't know. We got to take everything Lance says with a grain of salt. He says he just got in the car called the owner of the bar, gave his credit card information, said, hey, these guys that are going into your bar right now, it's all on me. Whatever they buy, it's all on me. And tell them at the end, just make sure you tell them it's all out of love. So I don't know, I don't, I don't know about that. He dropped at least eight F-bombs during the entire story to start that documentary off. ESPN's really taking the training wheels off with this cussing. After 9 p.m. I do like it. Lance is definitely taking advantage of it. But right now, I kind of feel the same way about him. But it was cool to see his upbringing and how he became who he was. But we're just getting started. I think the second half, they showed a preview of it. And one of his former teammates or maybe former business manager said, we're crossing the line of a good person doing a bad thing or a bad person doing a lot of good. 
because we know the Live Strong Foundation. Can't take that away. Raise tons of money. But at the end of the day, we're going to ask the question, is Lance Armstrong a bad dude? Or is he a good dude that did a bad thing? That's the question I want answered. And I think we'll get to it. He's going to have a say, definitely. So I'm really looking forward to part two. It's a good one. And then following this one will be the Bruce Lee, which I don't know much about him. I know he's like the king of martial arts. The first one to kind of break ground there. And then on June 14th, we have the one I've been dying to see. They've been hyping this one up. Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire, summer of 1998. I cannot wait. That's my childhood right there. Could have been the sole reason I fell in love with baseball. I do not know. And I will bring on a friend for that podcast because he's got a lot to say about it. But Lance, still not a fan. I don't know if I'm going to be a fan. I don't know how you guys feel about it, but Lance Armstrong, right now, asshole. That's what he is. Athlete, and hey, one more thing. He says he's looking at LeBron James and Michael Phelps now, and that's where he is, so he can kind of see from a distance, oh, that's where I was. I want to hear other people say that. I want to hear other people but in the same sentence as LeBron James and Michael Phelps. Because those dudes... Pretty sure they were clean. I don't care how dirty your sport was. Yes, you were at the top of it. It's also U.S. cycling. I don't think I've ever watched even one phase of the Tour de France. I don't know how you watch that. I would like to talk to someone who does do cycling and watches this religiously. Because when do you tune into tune into that? It's a hundred hour race. You tune, tune you know, definitely tune in on day twenty one. But are you watching on day 17, 15, 16? I have no idea. I would definitely like to know that. So if you know, leave a comment. Other thing. Here we go. I'm going to end on this. It's a new part of my podcast. I'm going to call it the final possession. Sometimes I'm going to be mad, but the ball is going to be in my hand. And I'm going to take the last shot. So you guys have been knowing. I'm reading a book a month. Just finished Friday Night Lights. The best sports book. Seriously, hands down, best sports book. Read it. We all know about the movie. We know about the TV show. It's been cool to watch the TV show while reading the book, trying to figure out what character's which, if they're even in there. The movie, though. For years, growing up, I wasn't a big reader when I was younger, but a lot of people were. They read the Harry Potter books, maybe the Twilight books, and they always had the same thing to say at the end of it. Yeah, well, the book's way better than the movie, and I was just a movie guy. I actually saw the Twilight movie. Terrible. Awful. Actually saw it in theaters, paid a ticket to go see that movie. And all these people that read books go, yeah, but the movie's so bad, you gotta read the book. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have time to read a book, especially not Twilight. So this is the first time I actually, well, I take that back. Moneyball was the first book I read and saw the movie in theaters. And I loved the movie. I did love the movie. And Friday Night Lights, my high school days growing up, my brother played high school football. It was one of his favorite movies. I watched it a thousand times. And it was one of the best movies, I thought. I couldn't be more wrong. After reading a book, I'm a part of that crew now. I'm a part of the crew that says, hey, read the book. It's way better than the movie. And this is so true when it comes to Friday Night Lights. I know movies, you only have two hours to kind of crunch everything in. They missed so much about Friday Night Lights. Booby Miles got hurt in a scrimmage, not the first game of the season. 
Booby Miles quit the team and never came back. But in the movie, he shows up on crutches the day the bus is leaving for the state championship game against Dallas Carter. No. Booby was listening on the radio back home after getting kicked out of Uncle LV's house. Never, never rejoined the team. And also Comer, the backup running back, water bug. Phenomenal this season. And the book, great. I mean, I think he averaged 200 yards rushing a game, it seemed like. He was a one-man wrecking crew. And Mike Witchell, quarterback, kind of a shy guy. He was incredible that season, too. I think he almost threw for 2,000 yards, had over 20 touchdowns. Did have an absolutely horrid state championship game. But they don't say any of that in the movie. None of it. Comer's the third string running back in the movie. Not the junior that took over for Booby. And the coaches were like, Comer's good. We don't really need Booby anymore. Plus, he's got a bum knee. But I think the greatest part of this book is I got the 25th year anniversary. And this writer was 34 when he quit his job at the Philadelphia Inquirer, I believe. And took off to go find the Friday Night Lights in the little old town of Odessa. Took his family, moved there for two years. Met all tons of people. Talks about the boom and the bust of the oil industry there. You don't really get the description in the movie. There's just a, there's a lot to cover. I get it. I get it. But the 25th year anniversary, he goes back. And he's like almost 60. I think he is 60 when he goes back. And it turns out he's been giving Booby Miles money all along the way. He covered these kids when they were 18, 17-year-old kids. He was with them every single day. Kind of went hunting with them too. He was in their classrooms with these guys. And he kept in contact with them for 30 years after. And Booby was in a tough time. He was actually giving Booby Miles money. And he goes back 25 years later and visits each one of these kids. And the sad part is Booby Miles in prison had a dispute was on probation, flipped an illegal U-turn, boom, locked up. That's twin little girls. And him just describing, showing up to that prison to visit Booby. He still had the same smile, but he was like 380 pounds. The writing is just, hands down, the best writing I've ever witnessed in a book. H.B. Bissinger is his name. And... I've had aspirations to be a sports writer, and I think this is why. The number one reason. A couple of books I read this year. It's about a writer literally uprooting his family to go follow whatever it is he's following for a season, for a year. One writer that I read a book followed a fourth grade basketball team all the way until up in these kids graduated high school. And he keeps in contact with them. I think the relationship building what these kids that these writers have is why writing, sports writing in general, is the greatest. Writing about a team, the upbringing of these kids in a town of Odessa, Texas. The heights of these guys' lives. And he was there for every second of it. And he built relationships so strong that he shows up 25 years later. And all through it, these guys are going to him. It's one of the dudes they trust. It's just amazing. That's my final possession today. I don't know if you guys enjoyed that. I just, I geek out about it. And it turns out I'm one of those guys. Book way better than the movie. 
And now we have time to read books. So do it. I don't know what book I'm reading next. I got a whole ton laying around here. I don't know. I don't know what direction I'm going. Baseball, basketball. Do I stick with sports books? I don't know. I think I will. But I'll, I'll let you guys know which book I'm reading next. Thank you for tuning into the 10 After 7 podcast. As always, I'm thankful for my listeners. You can follow me on Twitter at 10 After 7 or on the Instagram at 10 underscore after underscore 7. I'm out. Woo! Go Dodgers. Thank you.